Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast. Here's a new episode for you, a new one. It's brand new. How exciting is that? You've never heard it before. Just think about that. Sometimes you wait, don't you, I expect, if you're a hardcore fan. You wait and you think, when's the new episode of Luke's English Podcast coming out? I've listened to all the other ones, like, a few times, and they're great. You know, I listen to them... When I listen to them again and again, I I get more out of it. I kind of pick up on details and remember stuff and realise things that I hadn't realised before and really get to know them and learn that actually each episode's got hidden depths and deep hidden meanings and and, uh, certain hidden qualities. Okay, not every episode. Some of them you might listen to them again and think, well, once was enough. But hopefully... um, you listen to most of these episodes again and again and you learn more and you enjoy them more. And then when a new episode comes out, you think, wow, this is totally fresh. I've got no idea what he's going to be talking about in this one. Let's see. Let's find out, shall we? Well, here it is. Here's another episode. And I I genuinely hope that you're going to enjoy this one to the max as well. Um, Right. So, How about a story, ladies and gentlemen? How would you like to hear a story? It seems that after 173 episodes of Luke's English Podcast, it seems that um, certain types of episode are emerging. I think there are certain patterns. Like some episodes are ones in which I teach you things. That's the main aim, is to teach you bits of vocabulary, maybe bits of British slang, maybe certain fixed expressions, maybe some phrasal verbs, maybe some idioms, maybe some vocab that applies to a specific topic area. Sometimes I teach you little bits of grammar, but less. I don't do that very much because I kind of think, well, you can learn grammar from from books and that's often the best way to do it. It's just to kind of go through a study guide to help you learn grammar. Um, or you can learn grammar using other types of self-study. You can learn grammar in your classes. And in fact, many of you, I expect, have already done enough grammar for a lifetime. Um, And I prefer to teach you other things like particularly vocabulary, but also cultural things, maybe some pronunciation, stuff like that. Um, So there's things that there, there are episodes in which I teach you kind of lists of vocabulary and things like that. Then there are ones where I teach you about cultural things like recent episodes about British comedy. That's a chance for me to teach you some stuff about the history of popular culture and give you an opportunity to listen to some um, some English in the form of a comedy sketch or a scene from a film or someone's bit of stand-up comedy. Then there are those episodes where I just kind of um, make up a story um, and improvise it. And I suppose the, the, the interesting thing or valuable thing about that is that you 
get to just listen really closely to what I hope is quite an engaging story. Even if they those stories are sometimes a bit ridiculous and a bit funny, uh, I still think that it's very good listening practice because as because you know it's being improvised and being made up on the spot and I'm not just reading from a script, because you know that, I hope that it kind of brings you into the narrative a bit more and allows you to enjoy the experience of the the storytelling. Um, So let's see, in this one I'm going to teach you a story, okay? And uh, this one is called The Curse of the Lampton Worm. The Curse of the Lampton Worm. Now this is basically a horror story, but it's also a piece of old English folklore, okay? So... I'm going to tell you a disturbing story from English folklore about a horrendous and mysterious worm. What's folklore? Folklore is basically um, stories, myths, legends, um, which were told um, by ordinary people, uh, stories that were handed down from generation to generation. Okay, so these are old stories. The particular story I'm going to tell you today, I I believe, dates back from about the 11th or 12th century. So it's it's nearly a thousand years old. This this story. Um, now the Lampton Worm. That's the name of the story. It's a legend from the northeast of the UK. Okay, uh, the story takes place around an area near the River Weir in the town of Lampton and at Penshaw Hill, which is between Durham and Sunderland, in County Durham, in the northeast of England. Okay? Northeast England. It um this is one of this is one of the area's most famous pieces of folklore, having been adapted from written and oral tradition into pantomimes and songs, which are still performed to this day. Alright? So I'm going to tell you this story, but I'm also going to keep up this tradition, this bit of folklore, by telling you this story on Luke's English Podcast. And I'm going to give you my version of the story. Okay, The tale is basically about a man called John Lampton, who was the heir to the Lampton estate in County Durham. The heir, that means that he um, was the... He was a man who would inherit... um, the, this land f- from his father so um, if you inherit something it means that when so- an older person in your family dies you then get ownership of that thing usually it's land or property um, okay so, so for example when the queen dies prince charles will inherit the crown he will inherit the title of of the monarch okay so he is the heir to the crown or the heir to the throne okay heir is spelled h um e i r but it's pronounced heir okay so this this is the this is the tale of a man called john lampton who was the heir of the who was the heir to the lampton estate in county durham and it's about his battle with a giant horrible worm or dragon that had been terrorizing the local villages. As with most myths, details of the story change with each telling. Now, I'm not from that part of England, I'm not from the Northeast, but I love this story because I remember reading about it in a book of monsters that my brother used to have when we were kids. Now, do you remember in the episode about ghost stories a detail 
um, about a, a ghost book that I used to own. Well, you might remember that. I used to own this book about ghosts, and it was fascinating and very scary to me. Uh, well, I had that ghost book, but my brother had the, uh, a book about monsters. Now, you might think, what kind of upbringing did you and your brother have? Well, we had a pretty normal upbringing, but um, I do remember these two books, which were books for children, but they were books about, well, ghosts and monsters, exciting subjects for boys, you know? I do, I, I'm thinking about this episode, I, I do hope that if you're a girl and you're listening to this, that you can still kind of get value from this. I realise that this episode might be a bit boyish. It's a kind of a boy's story. But it's, I still think that you can enjoy it. In fact, I know for a fact that some girls out there really love this story too. Um, I've heard um, this story being told by, by women. So I don't think it's just for boys. Anyway, um, so I had a ghost book. My brother had a monster book. And I remember reading about this story in that book. Um, and uh, I was fascinated by it. And so was my brother. And I remember that there was a picture of John Lambton fighting the worm and a brief account of the story. It was fascinating, horrific and exciting for me as a kid. And the memory of the story has stayed with me. There's just something about an old scary story that really excites me. I think that this one must be a good one because it has endured for hundreds of years. It dates back to the time of the Crusades. So that's about a thousand years ago in medieval times. Now, if a story survives that long, being told over and over again and being handed down through the generations, then it must mean that there is something in it which um, interests people, all right? So I think it's a good thing to share with you. This is a local legend from the County Durham, and I expect it's a strong part of their local culture. There's an old folk song which tells the story, and it's still sung in old pubs by beer-drinking men with beards and acoustic guitars. Now, I love those old folk songs. It's, it's proper traditional culture as performed and told by real local people. Now, I, I'm not from that part of the country. I'm from the Midlands and the South. But the story means something special to me because of the connection I have with it from childhood. Also, I just think that you, as a listener to Luke's English Podcast, might enjoy listening to it. I'm going to tell you the story in my own way. It's normal for folk tales like this to be changed a little bit by the storyteller. And there's no absolutely official version of the story, just a general outline. The details get adapted and improvised by each storyteller. So I'm going to give you my version, which means that I will stick to the main elements of the story, but yes, as usual, I will be improvising a lot of other details too. The challenge for me is to try and make it engaging and entertaining and understandable for you. As well as practicing your English, we can also consider what makes a good story. I think it's something to do with the passion of the storyteller and the attention to certain details. Um, your challenge is to follow the story and perhaps learn it well enough to be able to tell your friends if you fancy that. Just remember that if you do tell this story in the future that you should mention the roots of this story and that it comes from folklore uh, of the County Durham area in the north of England. It's important to remember that this is a bit of local culture. 
if you're from that area uh, and you're listening to to this, I hope that you don't mind my version of the story. And I hope that you realise that really I love this story too. And I'm just adapting it a little bit for the purpose of letting people practice their English listening. Um, Okay. I think I'm almost ready to tell you the story now. Um, I should warn you that, I mean, this is a fun story, but it's also a little bit of a horror story. It's a bit violent in places. So if you are a bit sensitive to sort of horror stories, a bit of violence, a bit of blood and and guts and stuff like that, then I would say, you know, just brace yourself. I don't think it's going to be that shocking considering what, you see in many TV shows and movies these days. But anyway, just to give you a little heads up, if you're very squeamish, then you might just want to be careful. I don't know, just get a pillow and hold on to it and you'll be okay. And it's just a story, okay? Um, All right. Now, I, I I think it's fine because if you watch Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings... Or even more frightening stuff, like 18 certificate films, then, you know, what I'm going to tell you in this story is no worse than what you see in the average horror film. Um, But I thought I'd just let you know, um, you know, beforehand. Right, so let's start, shall we? Let's start. Are you ready? You ready to hear the story? Yes, we are. Luke, get on with it. Okay, right, so gather round. Gather round, I'm going to tell you the story about the curse of the Lambton Worm. And here we go. So let's imagine we're going back about a thousand years to medieval England in the northeast. For many of you, this is a a long, long time ago in a land far, far away. And let's meet the hero of this story. He's a young man named John Lambton. And let's say in this story, he's 19 years old. Okay, he's a teenager. He's not quite a man yet. He hasn't really grown up to be to be a man yet. He's still still a teenager, really. And he's the heir to the Lambton estate. So he's a young member of the gentry. He's the son of a landowner from a fairly rich and well-known family in the area. And the thing about John Lambton was that he was he was actually rather a rebellious character, okay? He um he was a bit of a um a difficult kid. He he had a strong sense of independence, a rebellious guy. He used to skip church a lot on Sundays. Uh, he would skip school. He wouldn't attend. Instead, what he preferred to do was just go down to the river and go fishing. Even though his parents had had a very bad time trying to discipline him, trying to make him focus on his studies and, and focus on going to church, he didn't care. He just wanted to go fishing and he thought, I don't care about all those boring things they teach us at school and all that stuff that we learn at church. I'd just much rather go fishing in the river. And so one day, uh, John Lambton, on one Sunday, everyone else was in church, including his family, but he argued with his mum and dad on that morning and he stormed out of the house with his fishing rod and he decided, screw this, I'm going to go fishing. And so he went down to the river and um, he was just walking along the riverbank trying to find a nice place to, to settle down and do a bit of fishing in the morning. And as he was walking along, he met there an old man, just a, this strange old hermit, 
who uh, he sometimes saw in the area and who normally he avoided. Just this dirty-looking old tramp, basically, who lived in a wooden hut somewhere near the river. And the old hermit took one look at John Lambton and said to him in a strong voice, he said to him, Old John Lambton, John Lambton, there you are. I don't know why he spoke like that. I think I'm going to give him... I'm going to give him more of a voice like that. Oh, there you are, John Lambton. There's no good will come of you hanging around here on a Sunday morning. You should be in church, boy. And Lambton said, Well, never mind that, old man. I don't want to go to church. It's not cool. And the old man said, Hmm... Too much you care about being cool. Mm, yes. And uh, John Lampton said, You sound a little bit like Yoda from Star Wars. Mm, yes. True. A lot like Yoda I sound. Mm. But, but take heed you must. Spending time by the river fishing when in church you should be is no good way for a young man to live. No. Mm. And John Lambton said, you're a weird old man and I don't care what you say. And you sound a bit too much like Yoda. And the old man said, mm, Yoda? Who is Yoda? No, not of him, I do. And um, Lambton said, look, just forget about it, all right? Leave me alone, old man. Just go up, off you go. Go back to your old wooden hut and just do whatever it is you do. I don't care about what you have to say. I'm going to go fishing and no one can stop me. And so with that attitude... John Lampson found himself a spot by the river and started his fishing. Okay? And it it turned out to be a pretty bad morning for him. He just couldn't catch anything. Nothing. Not a sausage. Obviously, he wasn't trying to catch sausages. He was trying to catch fish. But that's just an expression that we use in English. Not a, He didn't catch anything. Not a sausage. He caught nothing. All right? Um, nothing at all. And he was starting to get a bit hacked off with this. Like, what's going on? Where's, where are all the fish? And the morning dragged on. It got to nearly 12 o'clock. And just then, just as the church bells were ringing in the distance, ringing the end of Sunday service, he suddenly felt a tug on the end of the line, on the end of his fishing line. He suddenly felt a pull. And it was a strong pull. And he thought, hello, I've got a bite. I've got something, finally. But this wasn't normal. This didn't feel like a normal fish. Okay, it was pulling really hard on the, uh, on the line. And he had to really struggle hard to try and bring this thing in, whatever it was. He thought, what on earth have I caught? What kind of huge fish is this? This isn't normal. Because normally when he caught fish, you know, he could pull them in pretty easily. They, they might be nice big fish, but... Normally, you'd be able to pull them in without too much trouble. But this one, this one was different. And he had to wrestle pretty hard just to bring in this fish. And as he was trying to pull it from the water, he could see out in the river, the water crashing around, being churned up by whatever it was that was on the end of his line. Just there, the water was like a boiling pit, just thrashing around. And he pulled really hard and eventually... He managed to get this thing out of the water. And there it was, revealed on the end of his line. It was a truly disgusting and horrifying catch. He, he brought it closer, sort of brought, the, brought this catch in on the line, brought it closer towards him over the riverbank. And there it was, 
hanging on the end of his fishing line, writhing around and flicking on the end of the line, a slimy and wriggly black worm, absolutely disgusting, writhing around violently. And John Lampton thought, my God, what is that? What the hell is that? He'd never seen anything like it before in his life. There it was, this horrible, slimy, wriggly black worm flicking and writhing on the end of his line. And it was dripping, dripping a kind of black, oily slime coming off the worm as it was writhing and snapping on the end of the line. Right? It looked horrific and it stank as well. It absolutely stank. Can you imagine the smell? Imagine the worst smell you've ever smelt in your life. Imagine that. It was worse than that, all right? So holding his nose and with one hand bringing the thing over, he managed to lie this worm down on the ground. And there, as soon as it hit the ground, it just lay still, twitching slightly, but still nonetheless. And he had a little look at it. He got a bit closer, not too close because of the smell, but he had a look at it. And there it was, lying on the mud, breathing twitching slightly and looking completely malevolent he had a quick look at it look at it properly it had nine holes down the side of its mouth but john couldn't really make sense of its other features it just looked really weird there was just something otherworldly about it didn't look like anything he'd ever seen before it looked bad it just looked bad that's the only thing he could think and looking at it made him feel physically sick he could feel he could feel the bile inside his stomach churning as he looked at it and he found himself staring at this worm without really understanding what it was or what he was doing all he could do was just stare at it and then he realized how disgusting and how disgusted it uh, it, it made him and he had no he had no choice. He had, to, he had to bend over and throw up. And he puked there and then on the side of the river. He puked the contents of his stomach out onto the ground. And, and, and wiping his mouth, he stood up and he just held his head and thought, what, what has happened? What did I just catch? And suddenly the reality dawned on him and he just thought, this is bad. This is, I've, something bad has happened. And he looked back at the worm and there it was lying on the ground just breathing and just then it opened its eye one of its eyes on the side of its head just opened and it stared back at John it stared at him this little worm and John looked at its eye and it was yellow and red and yet deep and John immediately felt like this worm was staring right into the heart of his soul And for a moment, he felt true fear, fear which seemed to cloud his mind. And where did it come from? He couldn't tell. But he suddenly felt the hand of fear touch his soul, and he didn't know where it had come from. This, in fact, was a life-changing moment for John Lampton, although he didn't realise it. It was, and he would never be the same again. At that moment, the old man from the riverbank earlier on, reappeared. He just stepped out of the bushes at the side of the river and said to John, Mmm, mmm, something bad has 
befallen you, John Lambton. Yes. <laughs> and John Lambton said, "What? What's happened? I know that. I know that you're actually quite an annoying character in a way. But can you tell me what? What's just happened?" And the, the old man said, "The work of the devil, I sense. Yes, the work of the devil you have brought onto the earth." And Lambton said, "Oh, do you have to say it like that? Don't, don't. I'm, I'm feeling bad enough as it is. Do you have to talk in those terms?" And he, and John Lambton then just said, "Look, I'm just going to throw this back in the river. I, I, I don't really want to have to deal with it." And the old man said, "No, brought it onto the earth. You did, and now yours it must be. Your responsibility you must take." And and Lambton said, "Right, and I, I know that." you're just trying to be sort of mysterious, wise old man. But there's no need to speak exactly like Yoda, is there? And at that moment, the man, John, John Lampton, turned back to the man, but he disappeared. Where had he gone? He didn't know, but he wasn't there anymore. And Lampton thought, maybe he's right. I, I shouldn't just throw this back into the river. I feel like I've, I better, you know, probably take this with me and so sort of he managed to get the worm struggling on the end of its line on of the line into a basket which he carried with him this is the basket that he normally used to catch his fish and he managed to get the worm inside the basket and then the the, the day had become dark and cloudy and he thought well that's it for fishing I, I just don't fancy it anymore I'm going to try and take this thing home and I'll see what I can do with it and he picked it he picked up the basket but it seemed strangely heavy with this worm inside it and he could feel it knocking around inside the basket and, and Lambton thought God, well I better take this home then and see what I can do with it so he started walking home with the with the worm in the basket but with each step he found himself getting more and more tired and more and more depressed he felt on that walk home he felt like everything suddenly had become dark in his life and he felt a, a sudden sense of despair in it all the f closer he got to home he felt the more he felt his life just coming untangled it's a strange feeling but he just felt like um all of the things that were good in his life were falling away. And he looked down at the basket and he thought, this this is the work of this devilish worm. I can sense it. I'm not taking this worm home. And so he looked around for, a, for somewhere to, to throw the worm away. And there on the side was a well, an old well. And you might be thinking, what is a well? A well is like a big hole in the ground, which is used to, to get water. Okay, and you send a bucket down on a rope down to the bottom of the well, all the way down, and there's water at the bottom, and you can pull the water out, and then you can drink it or whatever. And so there was this well, and Lambton decided that he would throw the worm down the well. So he went up to the well, and he opened his his basket um, over the well, and and the worm dropped out, thrashing as it went its body flicking and he fl he threw it down the well and waited to hear it hit the water at the bottom and after a few seconds splash he heard it hit the water at the bottom of the well he threw the basket away it was covered in horrible oily slime he thought i can't use that again it's disgusting and it stinks and with that he went home he went home with a new kind of 
sense of seriousness in his life. He didn't, he didn't realise that it was the result of the worm, but from that day forwards, he'd kind of grown up a bit. And in fact, a couple of days later, he spoke to his parents and apologised. He apologised for the way in which he'd been behaving, saying, look, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry that I've been so difficult. I realise that I must be a disappointment to you. And as a way of making up, making it up to his parents, he decided that he would join the army. And that's exactly what he did. He joined the army. He um, decided that he would go and fight in the Crusades. He, he actually went to Palestine with the army to fight in the Crusades. And he was away for seven years, seven hard years, in which he saw many, many things. And he made many friends and saw many of his friends die in battle. And he became a man during that time, during those hard years of crusading in the Holy Land. Meanwhile, back at home in Lambton Village, the worm is still alive. It's still alive in the well. And the well becomes infected. Anyone who uses the water collected from the well, anyone who drinks from it, becomes violently ill and dies with horrible symptoms. Okay, so what had happened is that the, gr the worm actually grew slowly inside the well. And after it reached a massive size, one moonlit night it slid out from the well. And it was massive. It, it had grown rapidly. And it had grown huge and strong. And it wrapped itself around a local hill. And it, it, it managed to wrap itself all the way around several times. And it lay there waiting warming itself in the morning sun. Now, picture this. Picture this worm. It was hideous. It was a hideous and truly vicious creature. It had these small legs with claws on the end, and yet its body was long and strong, like a huge snake. The legs, it used to use the legs to scrape and scratch the earth, and it was incredibly long, and it slithered like a snake. It was covered in smooth and yet tough scales, and around its head was a mane of sharp, rubbery-looking spikes. The nine holes that ran along the side of its face under its jaw oozed a nasty black slime which burned the grass and sent an evil black smoke into the air. It coughed up the bones and remains of the bodies it had eaten, leaving this foul waste on the ground wherever it rested. Its eyes were deep and yellow and malevolent, and it had rows of razor-sharp teeth like a shark's, except that they were black and yellow. And his eyes, also like that of a shark, rolled back into his head whenever he took a bite, leaving him looking like some white-eyed and blind monster during its moments of feeding frenzy. So the worm attacked a local farmer, Okay, um, so in the, in the morning, a local farmer came by the hill with his cows, moving them to a new field. And he spotted the worm and thought, what the hell is that? And he decided to try and have a go at it with his pitchfork. But the worm pulled itself up away from the hill and attacked the farmer, eating him 
and then ate all of his cattle. And from that moment on, the worm became a the worm basically terrorized the entire village. Every day the worm would travel around the local area eating cattle and sheep and wild animals. The countryside became a kind of deathly silent place with all the animals being scared or killed by the worm. It was a foul and sickening presence on the land and it seemed to poison the earth wherever it went. The confidence and strength of the of the worm grew and eventually it decided to enter the town so it made its way through to Lampton village the town mayor in an attempt to distract it emptied all of the milk supplies from the market into a trough in front of the town hall this was a way to try and prevent the uh, worm from entering the town so he emptied all the milk supplies into a big trough and the worm just ate all of it he drank all of the, the milk and then returned back to the hill where he went to sleep. Now, the next day, and for many, many times afterwards, the best men of the town got together, a fighting force, and armed themselves with the best weaponry that they could find, and they went to attack the worm. Okay, So they went, soldiers uh, dressed in armour, uh, carrying swords and axes, they went to fight the worm, but they never managed to defeat it, because this worm was truly vicious and truly violent and deeply um, ruthless in, in its, in its uh, approach. Um, what it would do is it would wrap itself around people and crush them to death, just crush the life out of them. Or it would simply bite heads clean from the bodies of, of men and all, either that or just... Um, bite them in the body and then thrash the body around until the man was just limp like a rag doll. And there would be skeletons littered around the hill. Skeletons of the men who'd attempted to fight against the worm and who'd lost their lives. And the bones piled up, in fact, over the years as more and more men attempted to take on this worm, which was essentially terrorising the area and just squeezing all life out of the place. The thing that, one of the things that made it so difficult to kill this worm, and that was so strange and mysterious about it, was that when someone managed to land a sword on the side of the, the worm, and even managed to slice the body in half, okay, what would happen is that the worm would just grow back. The parts would, would join back together again. So it was almost impossible to kill this worm. And even though many men tried, many men lost their lives and the worm survived. And this happened for the next seven years, all right? The, every, every day, the worm would enter the town and the townspeople would offer all of their supplies, all their milk and all their food, and the worm would eat it all, okay? Uh, the worm grew bigger and bigger, and the town became more and more exploited until people, residents, were starving to death because all of their food and all their resources had been used to protect themselves against the worm. All the life in the town had been sucked out. When, on occasion, no milk was provided, perhaps because there was none left, the worm would angrily attack the residents of the town, killing and eating men, women and children. One 
summer, John Lambton returned from the Crusades. He returned a different guy, really. He was a scarred man, scarred from the horrific things that he'd seen in battle. But he was a man, nonetheless. He was no longer a teenager. He was a, a man in his prime, in fact. Seven years had passed. He was a 26-year-old. And in those days, that was a man in the prime of his life. Okay? These days, a 26-year-old, it's, it's possible for a 26-year-old to have seen nothing in his life. Especially if he spends all his time on the internet listening to Luke's English podcast. He certainly won't have seen the horrors of combat and the horrors of medieval combat as well. Combat with swords, with armour. Those were brutal times. And John Lampton had survived seven years of it. So he came back from the Crusades a tough warrior, basically. He'd learned how to fight. He'd learned how to carry and use a sword and how to wear a suit of armour. He came back to his hometown, this town that he was going to inherit from his father, and he saw the state of the place. He saw how it was a broken place, essentially, and broken because of the, the, the campaign of terror which had been waged by this hideous monster. And he learned from his father about the worm and about what it did. And he realised that this was the same worm that he discarded in the well all those years ago. And he immediately realised that he was responsible for the curse that had fallen on this town. And he decided, what I've learnt as a warrior, I've learnt for a reason. And the reason is that I have to fight my own battle now. I have to fight against this worm. And it's my destiny to destroy it. And I must, and I will. And he remembered that in the town... There was an old uh, wise woman, a witch, who lived in the forest at the back of town. And John Lampton decided he'd go and visit this witch in order to have his fortune told and to um, learn more about his destiny and his fate and to perhaps get some tips on how to kill a massive worm. So he went to see the wise woman and he found a, a mud hut in the middle of the forest, and he knocked on the door, knock, 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 knock. And uh, a, a voice came from inside the hut, a voice that, if I'm not careful when I'm telling you this, might just sound a bit like the old man that we had earlier on in the story. So I just need to think about what's the voice going to sound like. Okay, all right, so he knocked on the door, and he heard a sound, a, a, a hideous-sounding voice from inside the hut, and it, set, it sounded something like this. Mm. No, that no, no, not that. <laughs> okay, um, the voice was like yes, like that. That's better. Okay, yes. Mm, still a bad voice, but anyway, let's go with it, shall we? You see, I'm improvising, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just trying to improvise. Okay, all right. So he knocked on the door, um, which sounded like a small door. That's better. And um, he heard a sound from inside. Yes. And he said, uh, is that the voice of the wise woman? And the wise woman said, mm, yes, that it be. And he said, what do you mean, that it be? That it be. And he said, you mean, yes, it is, I think. And she said, yes, okay. All right, and I, 
and John Lampson said, look, your vo- there's something wrong with your voice. We need to fix that. This is exactly what happened in the prawn story with that stupid cod. And she said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, oh, okay, all right, let's just go with it. Let's, let's, let's stick with this voice then. Okay. Um, I've come for you to tell me about the prophecy and the curse of the Lampton worm. And the witch said, yes, there is a curse. The curse which lies on your family, the curse of the Lampton worm. And he said, yeah, I know, I've, I know. But can you just tell me how to kill it? And she said, your suit of armour you must modify. Take the armour to the blacksmith. And there you must place numerous spikes all over the body of the armour. And blades, blades that will cut the flesh of the worm. And he said, all right, this is good. Hold on, let me just get a pen so I can write this down. Yes, spikes and blades must be attached to the body of the armour. And these you will use as a way of fighting against the worm. Okay, good. But spikes spikes and blades on the body of armour. Okay, very good. Anything else? Mm, yes, Lambton, yes, Lambton. You must fight the worm in the river. Okay, make sure the worm follows you into the river, for there you will be able to wash away the pieces of the worm which you have cleft from its body. The worm will no longer be able to fix itself back together again. The worm and the water. The water is where the battle must be must be taken, okay? All right, wise woman, thanks. Your voice is kind of going a bit more normal. I think it's better for me to just leave you. Wait a minute, there's one last thing. One more thing that you must remember, Lampton. And this is what you must remember. You must remember that after having slain the beast, you must, in order to lift the curse, you must... Then kill the first living creature that you see, immediately upon killing the worm. Is that understood? The first living creature that you see, you must kill also. And if you fail to do so, the curse will remain on your family for nine generations. And for nine generations, the men of the Lambton family will not die in their beds. Is that understood? And Lambton said, all right, if I get this correct, what you mean is that Okay, so let, let me just review the notes I've taken here. So I need to put spikes and blades on my armour. Then I need to fight the worm in the river, okay? And, th- and the third thing is that uh, after I've killed the worm, I need to kill the next living thing that I see in order to make sure that the curse is properly lifted. Yes, Lampton, yes, you learn well. <clears throat> and then uh, John Lampton said, why, why do you go, sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but can I just ask you, why do you go <clears throat> at the end like that? You sound a bit like Marge Simpson when you do that. I thought you just might like to know. Okay, all right. Thanks a lot for the advice. Good luck with sort of being weird and everything. Um... I like your mud hut. It's basic, but but I like that. Bye for now. Thanks a lot for all the for all the wisdom. I appreciate it. Mm. A cocky attitude you have, Lampton. It will not serve you well. And with that, Lampton left the mud hut. And so he got his armor. He took it to the local blacksmith. And there he had sharp spikes and blades fitted to the outside of the armor. 
obviously to the outside of the armor. You wouldn't put blades and spikes on the inside of your armor. What good would that do? None. So he had the spikes and sharp blades fitted to the outside of the armor, just like the wise woman had told him. And then he put it on, and with his sword in hand, he marched towards the hill where the worm lived. And he, he got to the hill. No, before, wait a minute, I've forgotten the detail. Before he did that, he agreed with his father that if he managed to kill the worm, that he would blow into his hunting horn. He would blow three blasts on the hunting horn in order to signal to the father he'd killed the worm and that, that the father should release John Lambton's favourite dog. Okay? Now, the reason for that is that the favourite dog would run directly to Lambton. He'd know where he was. He could hear the, the sound of the horn. The, the, the dog would run straight to Lambton, and then Lambton would be able to make sure that that was the first living thing that he saw, and then he could kill the dog, lifting the curse from his family. He had no choice. He had to make sure that the, the first living thing that he saw was not, for example, another person. So that was the plan. He'd, he'd do battle with the monster in the river and then he'd blow into his hunting horn like that and then the father would release the hound. The hound would run to Lambton and then it's tragic but Lambton would then kill the dog lifting the curse. Okay? So Lambton managed to get down to the hill and he found the worm and he saw it wrapped around the hill, hideous looking, massive and fat and evil. And the worm looked at Lambton. He opened his eyes and with that hideous yellow and red eye stared at Lambton. And Lambton immediately again felt the hand of fear gripping his heart. And he immediately thought, I can't do this. I'm I can't, I don't. I genuinely don't think I can do this. To be honest, that sounds like his thought was rather calm. It was quite an articulate thought. I genuinely don't think I can do this. That's not how it was. He was just stunned with fear, okay? Um, the kind of fear that blocks your physical movements. He, he, he could hardly even hold his sword in place. He was trembling inside his armour, inside this heavy armour, because looking at the worm... The worm was uncoiling itself slowly from the hill and its body was so long and so big it, as it uncoiled itself slowly from the hill he could see that there were lines in the earth of the hill deep channels that were caused by the body of the worm squeezing itself around the hill so this is such a big worm that it had it had changed the shape of the hill and it seemed to uncoil itself for ages and ages and ages and John Lambton realized just how big this monster was the worm recognized Lambton definitely and as it uncoiled itself from the hill it hissed it hissed and it puked black bile onto the grass and it was just generally hideous. Lambton realised just how difficult this was going to be because the worm was so big and so strong looking. The worm slowly approached Langton and Lambton backed away from it. He walked backwards, holding eye contact with the worm no matter how hard it was. 
He walked backwards towards the river, just trying to hold himself together. The worm steadily moved nearer and nearer and seemed to be flanking him down one side. Lambton was, was actually getting very, very tired just walking in this heavy armour. The armour was much heavier than normal because of all of the extra fittings. Eventually Lambton got down to the edge of the water and started to walk into the river, which was cold, and the current of the river was strong. And immediately Lambton felt like he was near the end of his strength, just walking down to the river and walking into it. He felt that he was almost finished at that point. The worm which had now made its way up n- further up the river, slide, slided or slid down the riverbank and plopped into the water, its long body lying half in and half out of the water and quite quickly at that point moved towards Lampton and raised itself up to strike. And it came down on him and Lampton u- moved his arm up to protect himself and the worm spiked itself on one of his one of the spikes and came away again the worm realizing that this was a this was actually a harder battle than it had had before and they fought there in the river for hours and hours and whenever the worm attempted to coil itself around lampton to squeeze him to death it got sliced up on the blades and the spikes The blades and the spikes actually meant that the worm couldn't squeeze Lampton to death. And whenever it did, it would chop itself up. Lampton at this point was so tired that all he could do was just try not to be washed away by the river current. But he raised up his sword and he hacked it down at the worm. The worm came in and wrapped itself around Lampton and got chopped up into bits again and again. But this was such a big worm that it kept returning. Lampton kept striking at the worm with his sword using the only remaining strength he had left as the worm was wrapping itself around his legs and arms it was being cut up by the by the blades and the spikes just as the old wise woman had said the fumes from the worm's mouth were poisonous and every time it breathed in Lambton's face he would feel like he was going to pass out and drop into the river but every time parts of the worm were hacked off from its body and every time the worm got sliced up by the blades and spikes on his armor these pieces were washed away down the river washed away in the heavy current of the river and eventually just a small section of the worm remained because the worm couldn't fit itself back together again the what the pieces were just washed away forever and so the worm diminished and got smaller And eventually just a small section of the worm was left thrashing about in the water violently. And Lampton, using the last remaining bit of energy he had, managed to hack off the head of the worm. He hacked the head from the body and the pieces washed away. They couldn't join back together. The worm was no more. He'd killed the worm. Okay, so Lampton at that point managed to get his horn and he blew three notes into his horn like that and his father who was so happy to hear the sound so happy to realize that his son had defeated the worm was so overjoyed that he forgot completely about releasing the hound and instead he ran as quickly as he could to see john in the river and he ran all the way down and as he approached the river lampton 
saw him running towards him, and he felt dismayed, saying to his father, No, Dad, no! But uh, Lampton's father came to him, and Lampton said, What about the hound? You were supposed to release the hound. Um, He couldn't, though, he couldn't bring himself to kill his father. How could he kill his father at this moment? Or at any moment, for that matter. How could he kill his father? And so they went back to the house. The father helping Lambton walk back. They went all the way back and they found the hound and Lambton had to kill it there and then. The wise woman then appeared. The wise woman appeared at the door and said, "Mm, Yes, Lambton, you may have killed the worm. But no, you have failed to lift the curse. You didn't kill the first living thing that you saw. And so the curse will lie in your family now for nine generations. (laughs) And um, Lampton said, you stupid cow. Why? I killed the dog. Isn't that good enough? And And the wise woman said, no, Lampton, you remember what I said. You wrote it down with a pen. The Lamptons will not die in their beds for nine generations. At that point, injured and sick and devastated, John Lampton collapsed. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the story. That was the story. That's the story of the Lampton worm, uh, my version of it. Now, I wonder what you think. What does all this mean? Is there any significance to this tale? What does this actually mean? Is there any symbolism here? Um, You can tell me. Um, Now... In fact, um, in the hist- history has shown us that uh, the, the generations of the Lambton family after uh, John Lambton um, were that, uh, well, the, the first generation, Robert Lambton, he drowned. The second generation, Sir William Lambton, was killed um, in a battle. The third one, William Lambton, died in another battle in Wakefield. Um, the ninth, we know about the ninth um, Lampton, Henry Lampton. He died in his carriage crossing Lampton Bridge on the 26th of June uh, in, in uh, 1761, apparently. So it seems that there is some evidence to suggest that the curse remained on the Lampton family. And in fact, many of his um, ancestors, no, many of, many of the, the people who followed him didn't die in their beds, instead died a painful early death. So maybe the curse is true. How much of this story is true, I wonder? Maybe it's it's based on some kind of true event, but I'm sure that having been told again and again, the details have, um, have you know, been embellished and so on. But I wonder what's the core truth of this story, how much of it's been completely made up, what really happened to John Lampton, and what was this worm that he had to kill? I'm sure it wasn't like a huge dragon, as I said in my story, but um, it's interesting nonetheless. There are lots of these kinds of tales, tales of people killing hideous monsters, and I, I often think maybe there's some truth in it. Maybe he did kill some kind of beast, some animal, some dangerous animal, um, but I wonder if it was like the huge worm that uh, we have in this story. Um, if you actually go to um, Penshaw Hill in County Durham, um, apparently you can still see 
these marks, these big um, marks that go around the hill, these scratch marks and these lines, you apparently can still see the evidence of where the worm wrapped itself around the hill, scarring the earth. Mm. So if you do ever go to that part of northeast England, then why not go and have a look at Penshaw Hill and you might even be able to see some actual physical evidence that this story was true. That's the end of this episode. Don't forget you can visit the website where I will post um, a kind of basic written version of this story and some posts. So you can actually, um, for example, listen to some um, some guys from the northeast of England um, singing the Lambton uh, Worm song, which is an old folk song. So you can hear kind of like a traditional old English folk song. Uh, which is sung in the local dialect or local accent. So in the in the northeast of England, they sort of speak in a Geor- well. I'm not going to say Geordie accent because that's that's uh, specific to Newcastle. But um, you, it, the story is best told in the original accent, um, probably through the the medium of the the folk song. And I'll post some videos so you can listen to that there. That's it for this story. And uh, I'll speak to you again in some way, in some other, in some form, in the future. Now, if you go, if you like fishing, then I would say, watch out, ladies and gentlemen, watch out for what you catch. Okay, if you do pull animals out of the river, you just have to be careful about what you do catch, because you may have to be responsible for it. This is not some, this is not some sort of um, uh, subtext about the responsibility of fishermen. That's not what I mean. Um, maybe that's one version of, of that's one interpretation of the story. That's not how I read it. I just see it as a, just an interesting bit of action. You know, I think it would make a great film, don't you? They should make a a, a really good sort of um, Hollywood version of this story. I think it would make a great film. There aren't many women char- There aren't many female characters in it, except for that stupid wise woman. Um, but uh, anyway, they could make a good Hollywood film out of that, I think. Um, that's it for this episode, though. Speak to you again soon. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye. Bye. Coming soon to BBC One, a new crime investigation drama starring Luke from Luke's English Podcast. Luke is Jack Miller, a financial auditor and detective in London Square Mile. Using the latest forensic techniques, Miller solves the horrific murder of a rich businessman but must face the terrible consequences. CSI London, Tuesday evenings at 9 o'clock on BBC One. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, 
you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.